Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors of our church. I'm from the Hookheston campus. I'm going to move your music, Kelsey, but I know how that is as a worship leader. Who's touching my music? <laughs> um, no, but it's good to be here. Uh, as again, I just want to introduce myself. If I don't know you, um, my name's Terry. I'm one of the pastors here of our church. Our church meets in two locations every morning, one in Hokeston and one in Wilmington. And Pastor Jeff is away today, so I'm going to be preaching for us this morning. You can be praying for him as he's on vacation with his family. And um, he'll actually be in Hokeston next week preaching, and Pastor John will be here preaching next Sunday. So we're, um, I'll talk about it in a second, but we're, we're doing something a little bit different with this series that I think will be fun it's August, so we're going to have a little bit of fun with this one. Um, so with that in mind, I'd like you to just think about something for a second as we um, prepare to turn to the Word. I want you to think about your most informative and impactful and memorable friendships from your life. So I know that's a massive idea of friendship. And you've had probably all sorts of friends through the years. But um, if you could think about the topic in your life, the topic of friendship, and how it's played itself out in your life, um, that's what I would have you turn to in your mind. So maybe you need to close your eyes just to even like, get a friend in your head. But um, maybe, maybe your first encounter with friendship and a friend early on or maybe it's more recent. But what, what have been the things that have defined and the moments that have defined your friendship? How has that played out in life for you? We're starting a series today on friendship. Um, and like, as I mentioned, the pastors are going to be just rotating through. So each week we're going to take a look at a side of friendship. Pastor John will be here next week, and he's actually going to be speaking from almost like a broader sense of friendship. But today we're going to be diving into a sliver, a component of friendship. And so with that in mind, we're, I want to encourage you just to take this month to think about friendship in your life. And each week, just take a different component of it, and we'll see what the Lord does with that. We're going to rest on a proverb uh, every week. So... This isn't a study on Proverbs. You may know about Proverbs. Proverbs, they speak to either virtues or vices. Today we have a proverb on friendship that speaks to the virtue of friendship. Um, Proverbs don't speak to every single angle in life or every situation, but they speak to a principle and their desire, Proverbs' desire is to develop character. So we don't even need to turn to this proverb because it's, we're just going to kind of pull it out and think about it, and, and then we're going to jump into a different place in Scripture. But um, just listen to this proverb, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. 
Adversity, uh, you probably know what adversity is. It's, it's a general word that encompasses any kind of resistance. So adversity can be misfortune or trouble. It can be difficulty or hardship. It can be distress or disaster, suffering or affliction. It can be sorrow or misery. It can be tribulation or pain or trauma. Any kind of difficulty that we face in life can become an adversity in the sense that we have to kind of go through it. So this proverb, a friend is, um, a friend is, loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. There's a parallel that's being made. Um, the friend is being compared to the brother and likened to a brother. And a friend who loves at all times is being connected to a brother who is born for adversity. Now, to understand that, it doesn't mean that a brother is born for adversity so that he fights all the time with his brother. It means a brother is born for adversity, meaning a family sticks together during hard times, just like a friend sticks by your side in a loving way at all times. So there's, there's actually a parallel being made between friendship and adversity. That's what's happening in the proverb. So we're going to um, look at a case study. You can turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 18, and I remember being here maybe about a year ago where you all, through the Bible study, went through the book of 1 Samuel. I remember showing up during the story of David and Goliath and taking that in. So we're going to be diving in in the middle of 1 Samuel, so you may already have a context for that in your mind if you're a part of that Bible study. Um, but we're going to be looking at a case study on friendship, um, and specifically we're going to be looking at Jonathan and the friendship that he had with David. So um, allow me to uh, set up the story before we look at it. We're going to look at this one encounter that David and Jonathan have. But before I do that, I want to say a few things about Jonathan. So Jonathan, Jonathan was the first prince of Israel. He doesn't carry that title, but literally that's what he was. Jonathan was the son of the first king of Israel, which would make him the first prince of Israel. And um, so Jonathan had the qualifications and the credentials to be a future king of Israel. In fact, that's what his father, Saul, King Saul, had hoped that his oldest son, Jonathan, would inherit his throne. So Jonathan is a prince. He's the prince of Israel. It's funny that the Bible talks about the prince of Egypt, but it doesn't talk about the prince of Israel in the same way. But that's who Jonathan was, literally, the first prince of Israel. Jonathan was also a warrior. Um, when his father, King Saul, was a little bit hesitant with the Philistines, remember what Jonathan did? He took his armor bearer, and they went through, at Michmash, they went through this rocky crag, and they... they between the both of them, they slew 20 Philistines, and then the Lord gave over the Philistines into their hands. So Jonathan was a warrior. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, which the tribe of Benjamin was known to be archers and stone slingers. They were known for that. Uh, when Jonathan passed away, later David lamented over Jonathan's life, and he, he likened him, um, his quickness to an eagle and his strength to a lion. So he was um, a mighty warrior. 
Jonathan is also a spiritually sensitive man. When he, um, when he did go through this rocky crag at McMash, he said to his armor bearer, he said, uh, whether we have a few or many, the Lord can do whatever he wants. He can give these men into our hands. He recognized that even as he went into this battle, that the Lord would dictate what was happening. And we see throughout Jonathan's life that he's constantly acknowledging the work of God in his life. So that's the, the backstory on Jonathan. But let's look at this encounter that Jonathan has with David in 1 Samuel chapter 18. I'm going to read five verses. And this is, again, this is like our case study on friendship. And specifically, friendship and adversity is what we're going to be um, looking at with this passage. So we're taking an idea to Scripture and we're going to try to learn about friendship through Jonathan's life. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, he's referring to David there, King uh, David. Um, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David, and his armor, and his sword, his bow, and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over the men, set him over the men of war, And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As I've been thinking about Jonathan's friendship to David, I've been really um, surprised and perplexed in some ways about why Jonathan would be um, so tightly knit to David as a friend, especially in thinking about, um, here's a little spoiler spoiler alert, In two chapters ago, in chapter 16, David was anointed in secret to be the king of Israel, the next king. While Saul was still on the throne, David was anointed by Samuel the prophet to be the the future king of Israel. And um, this is this is Jonathan's. This is this should be Jonathan's destiny. He has he has the character to be the king. He has a spiritual sensitivity. He's a warrior, he has a way with the people, and he has the rights to it as the prince. And yet he's so quickly ready to bind himself in friendship to David. And I've been really um, mesmerized by this in Scripture. There's something happening here um, that I want us to make sure we don't miss, because I think this this is so important. I, uh, one of my favorite books is this book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, How to Live a Better Story by Donald Miller. Um, I don't know if I'd recommend it. I guess I would because I said it was my favorite book. Um, as, you know, just as a caveat, he, he mentions God maybe three quarters of the way through the book. So it's not like a, um, it's not a self-help book, but it's not a, theologically robust book, but it's interesting because Donald Miller is a writer. He never says he's a theologian. 
he's pretty clear to the church that he is not a theologian. But he is a writer, and he is um, a good writer. And he um, starts to evaluate his life, and he realizes that the story that his life is telling is a boring, terrible story. And so he decides to go to the authority on stories, and he meets with all these incredible people about what makes a great story. And then he um, instills these components of what a great story is into his life. And part, you know, half, three-quarters of the way through, he talks about how God kind of infuses this. But he, at this one point in the book, he's talking about this idea of an inciting event, that every character, every good character in a story needs an inciting event to kind of trigger something in their life. And I think it's funny the way that he describes it. Listen to this. He says, a general rule in creating stories is that characters don't want to change. They must be forced to change. Nobody wakes up and starts chasing a bad guy or dismantling a bomb unless something forces them to do so. The bad guys just robbed your house and are running off with your last roll of toilet paper, or the bomb is strapped to your favorite cat. It's that sort of thing that gets a character moving. The rule exists in story because it's a true thing in life about people. Humans are designed to seek comfort and order. And so if they have comfort and order, they tend to plant themselves. Even if their comfort isn't all that comfortable, and even if they they secretly want for something better. He's describing this inciting event that triggers something um, amazing in a character, and it, it tends to be this event in their life that um, shapes the future. And I think if we think about Jonathan, um, so what was the inciting event that knit his soul to David? Well, right before this, David uh, killed Goliath, the Philistine. And he's, he's essentially just, this just happened, it's in front of everybody, And he um, is kind of explaining to Saul who he is, who his father is. And it says, in that moment, Jonathan knit his soul to David. It was Jonathan looking at David, seeing this before his eyes, and recognizing that this is exactly what I've been longing for. I wonder if maybe the hesitancy that he's seen in his own father to be kind of a little bit back and forth in the way that he follows God and obeys God and stands up for God in his name. Well, he sees in Jonathan, or he sees in David, this um, readiness to do what he's been longing to do in his own life. And, but I'd say the most surprising thing is that, um, unlike King Saul, who it says took, took David into his house, and used him for his purposes. Jonathan gave everything to David. And at a time when he was the rightful, uh, he was in the lineage to be the next king. This is what happens. So it's, it's a bit puzzling, but if we can think of this inciting event, we can understand better um, Jonathan's love for David and the friendship that bound them together. 
when it comes to friendship and adversity, I think if we can um, somehow get this concept of the inciting event into our lives, I think it could make our friendships really interesting and maybe even more profound than they already are. Um, we may not be warriors like David and Jonathan were. We may, we may not have an inciting event in our lives quite as, um, quite as amazing in some ways as what they experienced. And yet there are things in our friendships that um, bring us together. It may initially be circumstance that, you know, you show up on the first day of school and there's your class, and somehow out of your class, these friendships are formed. And usually you find someone that you feel just enough courage to go up and connect with, and then you find out, okay, what do we share in common? And then, and then we move from that, and then friendship develops over time. But in this story, I want us to look at what Jonathan actually does in response to this inciting event. And then I want us to apply it to our friendships. So Jonathan initiates his friendship with David. He, and if you look at the rest of their encounters over the next five or six chapters, I want to say every, but it's, if not every, it's almost every encounter, Jonathan is the catalyst to what happens with Jonathan and David. And, and then David responds from that, and he goes and he does what he's supposed to do. It's pretty cool. Um, but the first thing that Jonathan does is he knits his soul to David. This is an internal knitting. And friendship, think about that friend that you had. There was probably some internal connection that you guys had, some, some acknowledgement between the both of you. Yeah, we are friends. We're going to stick together. Um, that's what Jonathan did. It says that he knit his soul to David. And I'm glad it didn't stop there because then it actually goes and describes what that is. He did two more things. He made a covenant. A covenant is a verbal, contractual expression of what's happening internally. So he, he um, verbalizes to David what his friendship is all about. And then later on, this comes up this word covenant is used around their friendship two or three times later. It involves the Lord. They invoke the Lord's name in their covenant of friendship. They, um, they say that the Lord is between them. Nothing is between us except for the Lord. They also say that their covenant of friendship extends to their children, to their offspring, to their sons and daughters. That's how tightly knit this friendship is in this covenant. And it actually gets stated between them several times with all these encounters that they have. Um, but the third thing that we see, so not only was this internal knitting and this verbal um, statement of friendship in the covenant, there was, what did, what did Jonathan do? What did he do? He stripped himself in front of David. He took everything that he had and he gave it over to David. It's amazing. He takes his robe. His robe would, in that day, the robe, just like today, the robe, the clothes are the people. The robe is the man. It carries the insignia of the prince. It's what covers him, covers his shame in some ways. But Jonathan's robe would have given him the authority. People would have recognized who he was. It would have given him the protection. And he just takes it off and gives it to David. 
But he doesn't stop there. He gives him all the weapons that he has as a warrior. His sword, his bow. His bow would have been precious to him as an archer. His belt and his armor. It's funny because who else gave David some armor? King Saul. King Saul, before David went into battle with Goliath, um, King Saul tried to fit his armor on David. And you got the idea that Saul was kind of like, okay, this little guy, he needs some help. And Saul's like, eh, it doesn't fit. I think I'm just going to go the way I am into battle. He rejects Saul's armor. But here, Jonathan gives him his armor. So it's interesting. And he just lays everything at David's feet. I've been trying to think about what this means in my life and my real life and around the, the concept of friendship and adversity. Um, I, I remember this time in high school, and I was, um, I was lucky enough, blessed enough, God had orchestrated the situation enough that I was in a, a Bible study with three other guys, three other friends from high school, and we were studying um, character and excellence in Scripture. And I remember the enemy started to creep some thoughts into my head. And I, I looked around at these three guys who were my buddies and our youth pastor, and I, I became jealous over like a, a very small thing. And it was something that just started to um, develop in me, a little bit of jealousy. You see, because I um, went to a public school, and my three buddies went to a Christian high school. And this is silly, but um, I was really jealous of them because they were in a Christian high school. I felt like they had an advantage over me, that they could just be a little bit bit more (laughs) well-equipped to answer these questions. And so I remember thinking about that and just being stuck on it a little bit. I don't remember very many sermons that my pastor gave, so. but I do remember two of them um, from my high school years, so that's a good thing, I think. <laughs> so um, this is the weekly bread, it's the weekly encouragement, and, but every so often, you know, there's something that's said that sticks with you for a while. But there was this one sermon that my pastor, Pastor Ryle, gave. And he gave a sermon on jealousy. And, you know, it was like one of those moments where, whoa, he's speaking directly to me. This is crazy. And, um, but it was really cool because Pastor Ryle at the time, he exposed jealousy and what it is. And he said you can be jealous of someone or you can be jealous for someone. And he went on to say that jealousy is a form of coveting, just wanting what somebody else has. But it's not something that you have. It's not necessarily meant for you. Even if you're in line for it, in your head, it doesn't mean it's for you. And um, I remember him talking about this, and, and this awakening happened inside of me that I had been carrying this jealousy that really could be turned um, for something good. And God had placed me in a place that where I was supposed to be. And looking back now, I see why I was there. But um, at the time, this was a helpful shift. And my pastor said, um, become jealous for that person to the degree that you want whatever is the best for them. You actually want it 
even if it's something that you kind of want on the back end, you actually want it even more for them. And this is what I see in Jonathan's life, uh, in the way that he approaches David. I think that this can only happen through um, God's power. I don't think Jonathan did this on his own strength. I mean, how could he really do it all on his own strength? He, he was being empowered by God to actually empower someone else who we all love and adore, right? David, he's one of the best characters of the Bible. But Jonathan played a secondary role, and he, he was okay with it. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And this gets to the, to the outcome, the outcome of their friendship. Um, David was successful, and there's a very real sense that David's success came through the empowerment that Jonathan gave him through God. I mean, there's so many encounters that they have. Jonathan intercedes for David with his father, at one point, he brings Saul and David back together. Jonathan reminds David of his uh, identity. Jonathan says to David, to David when David is like nervous and can I do this, Jonathan says to David, the Lord is going to wipe away all of your enemies from the face of the earth. This is what Jonathan says to David. And then when um, Saul Jonathan's own father, King Saul, is pursuing David. Jonathan goes and finds him in the wilderness, and it says that he extends to him the strong hand of God in his life. And there's, there's even more. We'll end with this one. If you're still in Psalm 18, you can flip over to Psalm 20 and look at verse 30. I'm sorry. Yeah, not Psalm. Thank you. First Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 20, which is just a couple more pages over, beginning in verse 30, is, um, this is like on the far side of, of their friendship. There's something amazing that happens. So in this little passage that I'm going to read here where it says the son of Jesse, when it says the son of Jesse, Saul is saying that, he's saying it about David, okay? He won't even use David's name until the end. So Saul and Saul and his son Jonathan, Jonathan his father, are having this argument about the role of Jonathan and David and, and who's superior and who should be in the right spot. And listen to this. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan because Jonathan had been sort of like um, arranging things for David's success. Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame, to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. 
So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food for the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father disgraced him. It's an incredible story of friendship and adversity. It's, it's a great case study for us, something that we should come back to when our friendships get hard and difficult. I want to end with um, just a thought. And that's, we shouldn't feel sorry for Jonathan. I mean, he was doing exactly what God um, had orchestrated in his life. In fact, he was embracing it. Um, a friend sent me this quote from Eugene Peterson on this passage that I thought was really, really nice. Um, Eugene Peterson said this about David and Jonathan's friendship. He said, it's a great thing to be Jonathan. Without Jonathan, David was at risk of either abandoning his vocation and returning to the simple life of being a shepherd, or even worse, developing a murderous spirit of retaliation to get even with Saul. But through Jonathan's friendship and adversity, he actually empowers David to follow after what God was calling him to do. And thank God that Jonathan didn't try to say, well, no, that's mine, or that's what I should be doing. And this is uh, what friendship and adversity is. So how might we apply this concept I would say, just keep in mind the broader context of friendship. Maybe this is one of those sermons that comes back later, you know, a year from now when you encounter something difficult with a friendship. But here are some, some three things. <laughs> here are some three things that I think we can learn from this case study. And the first one being, um, don't take for granted what originally connected you and your friends. You may not have an inciting event like Jonathan and David did, but still, there are things that God has brought in your life, friendships that he's orchestrated, like we heard this morning. He's always working. He's always communicating with us through his word, through his spirit. Um, don't take for granted the friendships that you do have in your life and the way that you are connected. Maybe there's a way you can discover some inciting event there, some mutual concern that you can go forward in together. And secondly, um, this is maybe convicting. Have you done enough? Have you done enough to tell your friends that they're your friends? That have you communicated to them? Maybe you're not going to make a covenant. Maybe you're not going to strip your robe of, in friendship and give them all your like, weapons. But maybe there is some, some form that... that uh, your, the communication of your friendship should take. And we can all do this in creative, simple, interesting ways. Um, I'll just give you like, okay, I'm just going to peel it back and just say this is a little trick. It's, it's a trick, but it works, and it's a trick at good, it's a good-hearted trick. So I have two things. Um, number one, I make my favorites in my phone my friends. And I go through my favorites on a regular basis, at least once a week. And I just like say, like, okay, who do I need to reach out to? Who do I need to text? Who do I need to call? Who do I need to um, check in with? And these are family members. These are friends. These are parents. These are siblings. These are best friends. These are people that I love. 
and I have maybe 15 people on my favorites list. 15 to maybe 20, I don't know, somewhere in there. And that's one thing I do. And um, I don't say that to bring anything to myself, but just to say it does require intentionality. Maybe, maybe there's something else that would work better for you. Um, I think prayer and, and scripture is a good way to build on your friendships. Um, so the last thing is that um, friendship is born for adversity in some ways, like brotherhood is. Um, we are to love our friends at all times, and it's at the times that they need us that we should love them the most. So you have to be uh, aware of that and go after that with your friends. Um, I want to invite the worship team back up as we consider just this in our own lives. And as they're coming, I want to just... Um, Maybe just give the time, this time of singing and, and prayer at the end here. There's a lot that happens in friendships and empowerment that happens. Jonathan, at some level, is entrusting himself to David. And this takes courage, takes intentionality, like I talked about. And Jonathan's um, sacrificial friendship reminds me of Jesus and his sacrificial love. You'll hear more about that next week in the sermon next week. But um, allow me to pray for us as we turn this time over to the Lord. And even in Sunday school, we were talking about meditation, and um, this coming week, the, the challenge was to um, spend time with the Lord, spend time in his word, spend time posturing ourselves before the Lord. So if you were there in class, you kind of know what was spoken about, but one of the ideas was just kind of laying your hands on your knees and just letting go of um, all the things that you need to let go of. So in the context of friendship, maybe there is something that you've been holding on to, a friend that has something that you don't, that you just need to let go of that, or a gift that you see in them that, that actually could use your encouragement, but you're a little bit jealous of it. Uh, maybe you just need to let go of that. Um, for the whole purpose of, of being for them and being, being their friend um, in a way that's impactful. So Lord, we give you this time and this closing time of worship and prayer and we thank you, Lord, that you are um, a friend. You, your son, Jesus, um, reminded his own disciples that there's no greater love than this than when a friend lays down his life for another friend, and it's in that moment that Jesus called his disciples friends, and so Lord, thank you for modeling friendship for us, and seeing it as an important um, component of our lives here today. I pray for each person here, and the friendships that they have, God, would you do something amazing in this series? Uh, would you open up deeper and more meaningful friendships in the way that you um, allow us to follow you? We pray all this in Jesus' name.